going on, podcasting world? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. This is episode uh, seventy-seven or seventy-eight, depending on how today. I think it's a seventy-seven. Today, it's technically shh, oh, cool. It's technically oh, seventy-seven. Oh, I see. What you're saying. But we may release the episode that we're recording a second <laughs> first. I just want you guys at home to feel like you're a part of this decision process that it we could do be. here. But our one of our internal meetings that we're having. They basically are a part of it. Yeah. Because this is the this is the meeting. We've had some of our best meetings actually while recording, so I, I I'm glad you guys get to be a part of it. I think our only meetings are while we record, so it's good, well, it's the true, best too. ones have to be during that time. Yeah. So um yeah so basically if you ever super confused what the heck we're talking about five seconds into the podcast, uh, we have another episode that we're going to do with a guest, but the timing is super weird because we're in different time zones. Mm-hmm. So uh, we may end up releasing that one first. We're going to record late tonight and then record this one later on. Yes. So this is us from the future, possibly. <laughs> Saying, uh, hope you enjoyed that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I'll we'll cool. enjoy this one too. Mm, possibly. We'll see. But today, we are going to cover a topic that we are 95% sure we haven't covered in a while outside of a patient case. It might be a little less than that. Okay. 85% <laughs> sure we haven't covered. I did search, I did like <laughs> type in COPD. <laughs> And nothing came and up. Result, so. And results were mixed. And then I typed chronic and nothing came up. So I think we would have had to name it one of those two things. The problem is a lot of times my titling of podcasts <laughs> right. is not indicative of what I, you I would, actually cover. I would have to say EP25 dot and then COPD. Yes. No, it would pull it if it was anywhere in the title. Well, Oh, unless you said something right. like voluminous lungs. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, and then that was exactly you know, that was what it was called. Yeah, now and like that was like four episodes ago, and now we're doing it again. <laughs> right. So if if you've already heard COPD, no worries. We'll uh, just go ahead and fast forward to the end of this one, or just listen to it again because surely we didn't give the updated guidelines. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember doing it. So hopefully we didn't do okay. that. Okay. I think the reason it all sounds so familiar is because we did asthma. Uh, about yes, we did do that two months ago. Yes. So that's probably why it seems so familiar. Hopefully, we'll yes. see. It'll um, be good. This is going to be good. It's going to be gold. Fantastic. So much gold in this one. I see what you did. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, that wasn't on purpose. I'm not, I'm not clever enough for that. But the 2019 gold guidelines um, updated a few things with their algorithm and uh, kind of made it a little bit more specific on what treatment options they prefer. So I wanted to make sure that we kind of went through those if we haven't already because um, I do really like the new layout of the new guidelines. Um, but we'll do some background and all that jazz that we normally yeah. do, and then take we'll get through, into the actual treatment stuff. Take you through the whole thing, because it's fascinating that if we haven't done this, it's pretty wild that we actually haven't done COPD. It's yeah. like one of our... I'm pr- I'm fairly confident. <laughs> <laughs> the more we're talking, we, we've definitely done an episode <laughs> on COPD. But it's too late now. We, are, we already started. We hit the record button. We are past the point of no return. Yeah, we've gone too far. Yep. So we're going to do this episode. I don't care if we've already done it. Um, and then... Uh, Anyways, so we'll go through some of the drugs and all that. And the uh, it, one thing I wish we could do is show like the actual inhaler devices because I think it's going to be kind of important. Yeah. But we do have some uh, demo if was, videos. If there was a camera version, we could. Yeah, yeah, but I don't have the camera set up either. So yeah, we're not on our oh, well. game today. <laughs> but the uh, if you go to Instagram, you can see some of the demo videos. If you're worried, uh, wondering about like the respite inhalers, things like that. If, most of you are going to be familiar with that stuff at this point, but just in case, um, those are on Instagram. You can check them out or YouTube. Um, but without further ado, let's do it. What do you want to jump in? You just want to start with some background stuff? Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. So what is COPD, Cole? 
Uh, I think it stands for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Correct. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So uh, basically, the way I always kind of think of COPD, because a lot of times, I, I feel like anyway, when I was in school, um, you know, I got asthma and COPD somewhat confused. I would I would always look at them as if they were just like kind of treated very similar. Um, but in, re- in reality, that's not the case, right? So asthma is an inflammation problem that you know, that's the reason why we need um, inhaled corticosteroids to reduce that inflammation. And COPD is uh, this obstructive issue where it's this mu- overproduction of mucus and the, the cilia that line the airways are no longer um, working like they're supposed to to kind of bring out any sort of uh, particulate or any kind of um, noxious particles that are stuck in the lungs to kind of pull them out of the out of the respiratory tract and clear it. There's not able to do that as much uh, anymore. And so it just kind of sends this vicious cycle, if you will, of overproduction of mucus and things like that. And it just gets worse and worse. And then some inflammatory responses kind of right. on the back end can start to happen as well. But um, it'll make a little bit more sense as we go into the treatment options. But I genu- genuinely think of this as like a 180 from asthma treatment. Yeah. So it's the, way, the best way to think about it. The best way that, to think about it, at least with the old guidelines, was it was pretty easy. It was just backwards. It was whatever you're doing with asthma, you do it backwards with COPD. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit different now, a little bit more yeah. complex. But yeah. for the most part, it still remains the same. So, again, cilia that line the airways, typically in an ideal environment, they are any kind of like noxious particles, particulate, things like that, go down the lungs. They are able to kind of catch it, if you will, and and work it back out of the lungs um, so that it doesn't stay down and uh, work its way down to the smaller and smaller, you know, brachioles and all that. Um, So, or brachioles, bronchioles, sorry. Um, But the... The mucus production um, also comes into play, and that's sort of to trap these particles and then the cilia bring it back out again. So mucus is produced as a result of kind of recognizing that there's some sort of inhaled particles there. Um, Once that process starts to decline in its ability, um, you know, the the inflammatory responses, things like that uh, may also come into play. So cytokines um, will get activated, uh, lymphocytes even stuff like that can can start to um, be released as well as a response to these foreign particles in the system. Right. Yeah, COPD, if you know the acronym, it gives you a little bit of a hint because it does say obstructive. Asthma doesn't really. You just kind of have to know that that's inflammation. But for the most part, that is that is the clear difference, like Mike said. One's more obstructive and one is primarily inflammatory, and that's why you use the drugs that you use to treat it. And you'll also hear, if you like, are looking through a standard like pathophysiology textbook, things like that, you'll hear um, them use terms like airflow limitation or gas trapping. Um, so if we get this like peripheral airway limitation um, that it results from basically like this, it's this trapping of gas um, during uh, expiration and um, results in something called hyperinflation. Um, and this hyperinflation reduces the inspiratory capacity that a patient's able to um, complete. And it's, it's commonly associated with this increase in this dyspnea. And, and one of the reasons why we get this limited exercise uh, capacity is as COPD worsens. And the normal gas exchange where we have oxygen for carbon dioxide just continually gets worse and worse um, and as this disease progresses. And uh, it just kind of has several different, I guess, working components of it, more so than just 
the person uh, has some inflammation going on and, you know, something like that that we could very overly simplistically think about. Right. Uh, so risk, risk factors wise, obviously the major one is going to be tobacco smoke, which um, I'd like to think that rates are on the decline these days. Uh, now we have vaping, whole another issue. I don't know that COPD is going to be the main concern with that at this point. It's mostly just the, did you hear about that guy, the Citadel? The Citadel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the big stories, uh, like across the country with this whole thing's going yeah, on yeah, with yeah. the vaping. He took like one vape of, I don't know, something jewel or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and it had, I think it was the um, synthetic marijuana in it. Mm-hmm. And he went into like respiratory failure and was in a coma for a while. Ouch. I think, I think he's okay now. I didn't know that was in the Citadel. Yeah, it was a guy from the Citadel. I'd heard that's happened to multiple people right. from those those vape pens. Right, it has, yeah. But uh, I hadn't heard it was so close. The Citadel's yeah. like 15 minutes from where we're recording right now. So. It is, it is. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. So hopefully smoking is on the decline. That would be the primary thing you would want to uh, try to, to decrease. And sadly, being around hospitals, you'll probably see people walking around with their oxygen tanks outside with their cigarettes too. That's unfortunate. Um, but primary risk factor. Also occupational dust and chemicals, air pollution, stuff like that. Um, but I, I, I'd say that other than genetics, smoking is the primary thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think... It's going to be interesting to see how the whole vape. We should do a whole episode on you know vaping. Cause yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if those COP rates stay elevated. As I think we should do one now, and we should up. definitely do a follow up one when they have more info because they still like yeah they got other than just these like weird things that are happening. They really have like no information. Well, yeah, and, and not only that, but then now you have like these the vape companies promoting them as if they're like a smoking cessation tool. Right. Yeah, and we have like pretty low. Right. rates of success while there's, there's anecdotal stuff but there's yeah. there's nothing definitive yeah there's definitely people who have quit smoking yeah. with them but the majority like if you look statistically speaking at the plate patients population as a whole um it, i think it's still like one or two percent maybe that have had success with it so it's right. pretty low but yeah they're like i quit cigarettes finally because i got this purified clean air and i think that's why some states are banning my lungs they're banning like the fruity tastes and mm-hmm. stuff but they're keeping the menthol and um whatever tobacco literally tobacco yeah. flavor because some people are using it to quit yeah hmm. craziness interesting we'll there, do one there is a uh, a genetic component like cole said um where we can get things like aat deficiency um there's also you know instances of like impaired lung growth um we see airway hyper responsiveness in some cases especially like overproduction of like mucus um things like that uh they can also play a role so you know genetically speaking there is a uh a component of that and and that is seen like in patients that have smoked their entire lives and still don't have copd right just got lucky i guess um yeah, I've I've talked to a, a patient that uh, was bragging to me that he smoked for I think he's like fifty years or something like that or maybe longer, and he's like, "Yep, lungs have never been healthier." I told them a long time ago that it was totally fine. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> proved us wrong. It's helpful. Yeah. So yeah, I'm think I'm about to start smoking. Actually, he <laughs> was a big advocate. I can run like five miles now. But yeah, so it's some people just can get away with it, but yeah. um, definitely the majority of of uh, COPD cases have a history of smoking. Yeah, and obviously smoking causes other issues than just lung things. So yeah. he could be like, oh man, I feel great, and the next day heart attack. Boom. Um, okay, so let's get into some gold stuff. So gold, uh, we've referenced it before, the Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease. Um, they have a way of classifying COPD. 
uh, into their four tiers. The way they do this is based on um, a spirometer, which mm-hmm. is primarily the way that you diagnose COPD and has been for the last 60-ish, 60 to 70 years since COPD has been an actual diagnosis. Um, they've noted it back into the 1700s, and I think the first term was like um, a patient having voluminous lungs. But COPD, COPD as a diagnosis came around in the 60s. Uh, so they use a spirometer, and they get your uh, forced expiratory volume over one second, I believe is what mm-hmm. it means. Um, and uh, either your, I think that you set like a baseline for yourself, and then you see how close you are to that baseline of what you should be. Um, if you are greater than 80% of that predicted FEV, then you're in the classified as a gold one. A gold two is 50 to 80%. Gold three is 30 to 50. And gold four is less than 30. And they just classify that as from mild to very severe. Mm-hmm. And and so, and they the predicted FEV one is also typically done like post bronchodilator. So they'll give them a dilator. Mm-hmm. And then, right. okay. they have, so they have a predicted amount that you should be able to kind of produce as an FEV one. And then if it's less than that, or, you know, that's how they can kind of generate, like Cole was saying. Um, and in order to meet that gold one, gold two, gold three, gold four, which would be very, gold four is very severe. Um, it's, it's done in patients that have an FEV one over FVC less than 0.7. So to break it down, the FEV one that Cole was talking about, if you'd like the actual definition of that is the amount of air that can be forcibly exhaled in one second. Um, and then the FVC is the maximum volume of air exhaled after taking a deep breath. And so you you use those to get the um, the you know the ratio. ratio. Thank you. I like, forgot words for a second. <laughs> and um, if that's uh, less than zero point seven, then um, then you can go onto the this chart of gold one through four using right. the predicted FEV one. So is that the diagnosis that. having that ratio of less than 0.7 and the, then you're classified? Is yeah, that that's they'll use spirometry to diagnose and then they classify it with the information they get from that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And FVC stands for forced vital capacity, right? Um yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. Um and then so the the other, I guess, tools you, that we often see, because, you know, spirometry is great, but we also want to be able to kind of assess not only, like, the baseline of a patient's uh, symptoms um, when we start a new therapy, but we also want to be able to monitor that. And so sometimes it's hard to just go off of something like just spirometry. Mm-hmm. So we have several different types of uh, questionnaires that we use that are very simple for a patient to um fill out and Mm -hmm. you can get one at baseline and then when you alter therapy and then have them kind of follow up and see if their uh the the scores have changed so they're very functional questionnaires too yeah essentially totally based on symptoms so the the first one and um, these these have been used for a long time so hopefully you've seen these before but we have the modified mrc dipsnia scale and so you'll see it abbreviated as a lowercase m and then capital mrc and it has grade zero to four and basically, they just ask them a question with zero being, I only get breathless uh, with strenuous exercise. So that would be most of us, unless we're just killer athletes. Um, I get breathless when I do strenuous exercise, for sure. If you consider eating a lot of food strenuous exercise, then yeah, that's me. Definitely. You might actually be more of a grade two kind of guy. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Um, and then to give you another example, a grade two would be like, I walk slower than people on the same age, um, of the same age on the level because of breathlessness. And, uh, 
um, or I have to stop for um, for breath when walking at my own pace on the level on that level of like so even um, you know like a level uh, walking distance and patients that are on that same uh, the same age group so because they also assess like walking up hills and things like that so when they say on on the level that's what they're talking about um, and grade four which is like the worst uh, would be I am too breathless to leave the house or I am uh, breathless when dressing or undressing so the uh you can kind of get an idea there of a patient would would be give their subjective point of view on that and you can kind of go from there but we have the other one that uh we see a little bit more of the cat assessment cool you got that one pulled up you want to walk through that one yeah so the cat assessment is similar but a little bit longer uh, they're going to rate these on a scale from zero to five and um it has to do with um coughing um chest tightness how well they sleep, how much energy they ha have, um, their home limitations, and also breathlessness when they're walking similar to the MMRC. But both of these are going to be used and are referenced very frequently in the goal guidelines. Uh, so they definitely recommend performing these on your patients so you can, uh, or to help classify them so you can guide treatment. And with the, the CAT score, the higher you score, the worse it is. Yes, so it's this like, is like golf. golf. Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. Nice. Something we are both huge, huge fans of. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the higher the score, that is not a good thing. So just to uh, make sure that patients are – and this is something that the you know the nurse or MA or something could give to them and have them fill out while the physician or PA or whoever that's seeing them is come, you know, waiting to come in. Right. And it's something that would be a good thing to keep on – on the chart because otherwise you're just kind of shooting in the dark based on arbitrary symptoms that right. the or you're reports. just starting with like first line stuff and just bouncing up but this is a more efficient way to do it yes because sometimes you have For to go sure. straight into something so there if you look at the actual um, goal guidelines uh, you know in their entirety they have one uh, page dedicated to the refined abcd assessment tool uh, which is basically the way that we can use all the previously discussed um, tools, the, the assessments to kind of summarize and get a grade for the patient and figure out what treatment is best for them, especially when starting a patient on this. This is a very easy thing that we can kind of put together and figure out what's a good starting option for the patient. So it's I would definitely encourage you to look at this because it's definitely going to be hard for to visualize this, just listening to us talk about it. So make sure you pull up the 2019 goal guidelines and look through it. But again, ABCD assessment tool, look at that. Um, first thing we have to do is find out again, like gold one, two, three, or four based on that FEV one predicted. Um, and then from there, you get your MMRC and your CAT score. If they had a score in the um, MMRC that's zero to one and a CAT score of less than 10, so either of those two, they are going to be um, on the left. There's basically picture a square with four quadrants. You're going to be on the left-hand side of that square. So it goes on the very bottom, far left, you have A. Um, next to that is B. And then if you go back to the left-hand side, top quadrant, you have C and D. So um, A and C are on the left-hand side. That's going to be an MRC of 0 to 1 or a, or a CAT score of less than 10. You're on that side. Um, D and B obviously being the greater than two and then MRC or two or greater and then greater than or 10 or greater on the cat. Um, and then the way you choose between the top tier and the um, bottom tier is based on exacerbations um, and or hospital admission. 
So zero to one uh, exacerbations with that did not lead to a hospital admission, you're going to be either an A or B, depending on your questionnaires. If you if the patient has two or more moderate to severe exacerbations or one exacerbation that left them and or led to a hospital admission, you're going to be either C or D, depending on their questionnaire. Paint a good picture. I didn't even have to look at it. Did you? Did, you, did, did oh, I nail yeah. it? Oh, just nailed it. I felt good about it. It's I'm perfect. not gonna lie. Okay, good. So that's kind of uh, how we can figure out which um, you know letter grade they would get from A to A to D, and then that's going to dictate where we start them on therapy. Right. Yes. Whew. Nailed Excellent. it. So. And bef- I think they have a pocket guide too. Yeah, yeah, they do. You can download. Handy to keep around with you. Super handy. You want to go into drugs? Yeah, so let's talk about some of the drugs, and then we're going to f- talk, you know, obviously where those drugs fall in, depending on what, what you know, grade they, they got, A, B, C, or D. Right. So let's go through some of the drugs. Most of these are going to be familiar to you, but we'll go through them just for review's sake. Yeah, we'll punch through them pretty quick. Um, so the first is going to be your standard rescue inhaler. It's the uh, Saba, or the short-acting beta-2 agonist. Uh, the one you're more familiar with is going to be um, albuterol, which would be the pro-airs, venolins, and proventils. There's also Zopinex, which is levalbuterol. Both are fast-acting um, uh, bronchodilators that people will almost exclusively only use for rescue in COPD. Um, they have a peak um, area of effect at 30 to 60 minutes, and they last about four to six hours. So usually dosing is two to four, two to four, two to four puffs every four to six. Um, and yeah, they bind to the beta-2 receptors. Uh, they can cause some side effects, usually um, having to do with nervousness or tremor, palpitations, um, kind of like having a steroid or something like that. Uh, they can also raise blood sugar a little bit, but usually they're pretty well tolerated. And you know, the other rescue inhaler component that we see in COPD is the ipitropium. So the it's a muscarinic antagonist that's short-acting, so a SAMA, um, and it is... Sometimes used um, off-label and with asthma exacerbations as well. So if you look at the nebulized like duo nebs, it's got the albuterol and the uh, ipitropium combo. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it's approved for COPD, often used in asthma as well in the hospital. Um, now, one thing that uh, to keep in mind with this is because it's muscarinic antagonists, we have to worry about our anticholinergic, uh, you know, side effects, specifically like dry mouth, scratchy throat, things like that. Um, but it's got the same kind of, you know, onset and duration that a regular Saba would have. Um, and it's in available as a combination Respimat now, um, so-called Combavent Respimat. Um, and the, the package insert directions are just four times a day, one inhalation four times a day. Um, and then you have your Duoneb nebulizer if you need that. Um, the gold guidelines actually do uh, list the data that shows the combination um, to be superior than either agent alone um, as far as improving like the FEV1 predicted and, and overall symptoms. That being said, Combavent Respimat is much more expensive than mm-hmm. albuterol. So a lot of patients will just be on regular albuterol, but if the patient has insurance and they can afford it, kind of push them more towards the Combavent if possible. Or they do the just the nebulizer stuff. Yeah. I see that a lot because I think... I think Medicaid covers nebulizer stuff better than inhalers or something. That's the only reason I can think I see that all the time, the nebulizer stuff. Like the non-Medicare Part D, you mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's like one of the only things that pharmacy, like retail pharmacies can bill Part uh, B for. Right. That and like like vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. uh, They consider it almost like durable medical equipment, even though it's drugs. Right. But um, if 
any of you are like super confused as well because you listen to our asthma podcast and you heard us saying to not use a uh, oh, yeah. rescue inhaler as the first line option. Mm-hmm. COPD, it, it is still recommended mm-hmm. to use albuterol as the rescue inhaler. Right. So you don't want to use the Simbacort like we were advocating based on the new guidelines for uh, asthma. Um, you don't want to use that in COPD. And the reason for that is, again, if you think about the pathophysiology, asthma is an inflammation problem. Mm-hmm. This is more an obstructive problem. So we want to dry up that mucus from the muscarinic antagonist. We mm-hmm. want to dilate the, the bronchioles. And um, the asthma, we want to reduce inflammation. inflammation. So we it makes sense to use the Simbacort and steroid kind of as needed, right. um, which is what the data shows. But don't get those two confused because I think that's easy thing to do. Yeah, now it is easy. Fortunately, we did caveat that in the other podcast as well. So we're covering all of our bases. We here. cover our bases, man. That's what we do. It's crazy. It is pretty wild. I'm surprised we haven't gotten sued yet. <laughs> they can do that. Yeah, I know. I was about to say, can actually, can we? <laughs> this podcast is not intended for medical information. <laughs> right. This is for information. I do have that only. in our uh, in our description. This actually. is not intended to uh, guide or change therapy. We are idiots. Do not <laughs> listen to anything we say. Ask real doctors. No. Um, but, okay. Yes. So, uh, moving Rescue on. Rescue inhaler, comp event. That's, that's the moral of that story. That's the moral of the story. Uh, long acting, beta agonist. What do we got? So, that's it for rescue. So, yeah, long acting, um, beta agonist, the LABAs. Uh, for students out there, the generic names can be kind of hard to remember. Just remember that they all end in um, ROL, Salmeterol, Promoterol, Indicatorol, and Olodaterol. Um, I, I like generics, honestly, better than brand names, but you do have to know brand names frequently in real life so um salmeterol is cerevent by itself for motorol's performist um indicatorols are capta and olodaterol is striverity they all do have a black box warning of um, an increased risk of asthma related death so obviously we're talking about copd here um and so they should not be used as monotherapy in asthma which we did go over in our asthma podcast um, yes. similar adverse effects to the sabas um the big difference between this and a Saba is uh, this is um, daily controller therapy and not for rescue therapy. Right. Then we have our friends, the Llama. We're also, don't don't take these as like, you know, we're, we're going these just to cover the drugs. We'll go yes. through the actual order of when you give these. Correct. So if you're freaking out right now, just be patient. <laughs> we'll go back. Uh, but the uh, Llama is a long-acting muscarinic antagonist. Um, we have tetropion, which you are all, I'm sure, very familiar with, um, with the old handy inhaler. Um, also, we have the Respimat formulation of it now as well. Um, we have brand name Tudorza. Um, we have Incruz. We have Cebri, which is one that uh, a lot of people probably haven't seen too much of. That's just um, glycopyrrolate. And then now we actually have the glycopyrrolate uh, nebulized mm-hmm. version as well, the Lanhala Magnair. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys haven't seen that, it's actually pretty cool. And I did a video for Instagram yeah, showing so you a nice it. little video on yes. that one. <laughs> so well done. <laughs> no, but the uh, the Magnair uh, Magnair thing is pretty cool, and that comes with its little like tiny nebulizer um, that the patient can use. It's pretty easy to set up, and it's a it's a very cool um, nebulized option for patients who just have issues with uh, using one of the inhaler devices. Because we didn't have that before. We just had the short-acting version. Right. Um, so these drugs are, are basically inhibiting the uh, action of acetylcholine. 
Um, and they're they're targeting not just any muscarinic receptors, but typically type three, which are the ones that are most prevalent in the bronchial smooth muscle. And so when you when you block the action of acetylcholine, you're you're basically in, inducing bronchodilation instead of the bronchoconstriction you get with the acetylcholine binding binding to those particular muscarinic receptors. Right. Um, these are, can be used either once or twice a day, depending on which brand uh, you're using. Um, with adverse effects, same um, anticholinergic side effects, so dry mouth, constipation. Um, there have been cases of like pharyngitis, things like that, that may or may not be have actually been directly involved from the drug. It may have just been the study, but or just the inhaler and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but those uh, those are uh, all available um, as brand name only at this point, and they are also available in combination with the Labas. So correct. We have several different options of those available as well. We do. Um, and these are going to be your friend in treatment. Yes. Um, not your friend when you have to pay for them. Correct. <laughs> yes, because these are also all brand name. Uh, but the Laba Llamas, so the combination dual therapy options are Bevespi, Udebron, Stialto, and Anoro. And uh, I will not go into all the generics on that, but it's good to look up. So uh, I will say... Bevespi, it's just, and I think I've probably said this, this is why I'm pretty sure we've done this pod, this talk before, because I'm very disappointed with the old Bevespi Aerosphere. Oh, yeah. When I first heard you that, totally talked about that, but it might have been just when you received it. Maybe. You okay. know what I'm saying? Maybe. Yeah. It's good. Thing. It prompted that, probably. Yeah, maybe. But I was all excited because I'm like, the Aerosphere, that thing sounds awesome. <laughs> what is that? New inhaler device. I was all excited. It was like new video opportunity, all kinds of stuff. And then I opened it up. And it looks just like like an albuterol inhaler. It's the most disappointed I've ever been opening a drug device. I mean, when I see Neohaler, I'm thinking like, I think that'd be pretty cool too. But and you find out that's just a miniature handy inhaler. Yeah, right, exactly. Garbage. And then yeah, so Respimat and Elipta from the Stylito and the Anora, you guys are cool. Yeah, I tend to like the Elliptus. Those are good. I think there's actually a study that shows that the Elliptus preferred over the other ones. They did a meta analysis that looked at them because hmm. I always assumed it was Respimat. And mm. uh, the study said that Elliptid was actually the preferred agent mm. from just asking patients' preference. Just like what they liked. Not mm -hmm. necessarily what worked better. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and so, last but not least. Yeah, go ahead. Um, ICS Laba. Actually, I shouldn't say last but not least because we got to talk about the third line or the triple therapy now. ICS Laba combination um, is the ones that you all have probably been seeing for years and years and years. So like Advair, um, Simbacort, Dolera, Brio. Um, these are inhalers that have been used for a very long time and are often misused now in COPD management. We'll get into that in a second, but that's your cliffhanger. So I believe that the only one of these that's generic is now Advair. Yes. Right. Correct. Yes. And, and the price has come down some. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. And then we also have uh, Trilogy is our other option, which is a triple, triple therapy. Yep. And I've actually seen that a fair amount. Yeah, I've seen a few of it too. On a side note, because I was going to, we always talk about new drugs when they come out and we're like, yeah, we probably won't see that for a while because mm -hmm. it's super expensive. I remember when we first talked about when Ozempic came out and, uh, oh yeah, super expensive. We probably won't see that for a while. Mm -hmm. Dispense that all the time now. Yeah. Um, and now they have the new um, oral GOP-1. Yeah, same. Um, it's not, it's not, they don't call it Ozempic. I can't remember right. what the name of it is. It just it's, came out right. I, I wasn't even going to try to pronounce it. It was like wriggle. I'm not going to try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I was thinking the same thing. I was going to make the same caveat. You know, it's probably going to be a long time before it comes out or before you start seeing it because uh, it's super expensive. But 
probably a year from now we'll be saying, hey, we dispense this drunk all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm I very man, nothing. You know, I like Trulicity as well, but for, I love Ozempic. Um, I've had really good success with it personally doing diabetes yeah. management at the clinic. I will say the titration is a little bit more annoying. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's it's good. I had a guy go from uh, humble brag real quick. I I say me, he did it. I just gave him the showed him which drug to use. But the uh, basically he was a I think it was fourteen point two, fourteen point three, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, talked him into Ozempic, and uh, he was already on that form. And I think he he had done a sulfonylurea and something. He didn't want injectables, and he was very very against it. So it took me a solid thirty minutes to convince him to to do it. And uh, he he got on the Ozempic, and he came back for his third visit so three months total of being mm-hmm. on it and uh his a1c was an eight and mm. uh so 14 down to an eight in three months he yeah. was like he must he have done something different he too, had his own he had his uh, he he had changed his like so because we also right. you know made him meet, meet, meet with our dietitian and right. everything so you will meet with our dietitian he's now. he's uh he's definitely once he started seeing some of the results he that made him want to fix right. his diet even more and stuff but he brought his ozempic with him to the appointment which he doesn't need and he's he's showing me he's like look at this thing he's like, i love this thing <laughs> he just carries it with him it's hilarious yeah, but yeah great. big ozempic fan yeah i do see the ones weeklies a lot more than victoza yeah i do see victoza but not as much not nearly as much and by Durian, yeah get out of my yeah, face yeah. anyways the point was that i see trilogy more than i thought i would when it first yeah, came out yeah for sure i don't see it as much just because yeah that we have less insured patients, but yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, so that's a lot of inhalers. We'll talk about uh, the a couple of well, a couple of agents towards the end, at least one more. Um, but we'll get into some of these treatment options, and then we'll talk about like less line and efforts after that. Let's do it. All right, so initial pharmacological treatment. Now, this is the other thing that I like about about the uh, updated 2019 update is they actually break it, you know, break it down into the initial pharmacological gets its own separate table. Whereas mm-hmm. before they kind of just had like this mm-hmm. algorithm, you could follow with a preferred path. Right. Um, this one, they actually have like the yeah, set. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's nice. Um, so they have initial and follow up, but initial. I don't like having to decipher those. It's like a maze. I like it when it's all simple. Super like easy. So yeah. I don't have to use any of my own thought process. Dumb it down. Yes. People are like, Oh boy. <laughs> so group a, so this is, again, patients who have had an MRC 0 to 1 and a CAT score or and or a CAT score of less than 10, as well as 0 to 1 moderate exacerbation that did not lead them to being admitted to the hospital, group A. They just want a bronchodilator. Mm-hmm. So we could get away with giving them, like, Combavent, Respimat is a rescue inhaler, and then um, just watching them from there and seeing how they make sure that they don't progress and... And, and you would just do the use. combination because it was shown to be more effective. More effective, yes. If, the, if it was covered. If it was covered. If not, buterol is your go-to. Yep. Okay. Now, if the person starting, again, still initial treatment, if they're starting off um, as a group B, um, which is where they have a score of 2 or more on the MRC and a score of 10 or more on the CAT and or score of 10 or more on the CAT, um, but still only 0 to 1 moderate exacerbations, they've never been hospitalized, they want to use a long-acting bronchodilator, either a LABA or a LAMA. Mm-hmm. So it, they don't specify which one in this patient category, and I'll explain why in just a second, but they say you can pick you know, your poison. So if whatever right. one's cheaper, go for it. Yeah. Group C, so same same situation with MRC and CAT as group A, except these patients have had um, two or more exacerbations and 
um, and or one of them leading to a hospitalization. So these are the more uh, severe patients. This, this is where they actually get specific. They want them to start in a llama. So Spiriva, one of those. They, they specifically want that over a llama. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the reasoning kind of for that is laid out from the POET trial. So 7,376 patients were included in this study, and uh, they were looking at teotropium versus selmeterol. And the, basically the, the, the primary outcome they were looking for was an increase um, or, or looking for the time to first exacerbation. So they wanted to decrease um, or, or, yes, increase the time to let them keep from having exacerbation longer. Um, and so they also were looking to see if they reduced the number of annual exacerbations, which when they found, uh, they broke out all the data, the patients that were moderate to severe, so they found that category of like C and D, they had better results in both of those outcomes with teotropium compared to some all. This, it wasn't seen in patients who were considered category B. So that's why they actually separate them out now to being like, you can use either or and B, and then they want llama specifically in teotropium right. because they're basing it directly off that study. Right. And it seems weird because it's like, well, if, if it's a direct progression, why wouldn't llama be preferred? And why wouldn't llama work better in group B as well? But it's because if you're looking at the guideline, it isn't really a direct progression. That's why we have all these weird quadrants. Patients in group C have a lower MMRC and CAT score than patients in group B, even though they're having more severe exacerbations. And that probably has something to do with why llamas work better and you can use either in group B. If I had to postulate. There you go. Yeah. We're always postulating around here. That's all we do. <laughs> Not a lot of data. <laughs> <laughs> so group D, um, basically they also recommend a llama as well, first off. Um, unless the patient is considered to be highly symptomatic, which an example of that would be like a CAT score of greater than 20, then you could right off the bat start with a llama-llama therapy. And if the patient's eosinophil count is above 300, you could also consider a LABA ICS. Right, because that means that they have um, significant inflammatory processes exactly. involved. Exactly. So... Most of the time with COPD, I would say, um, based on a survey that I just made up, um, but no, most of the time you're probably going to see um, either a llama or a llama lava for even for category D when you're talking about initial treatment. Right. However, because the lava ICS has been used for so long, um, and when I say you usually would see, I'm saying the patient population would come in would require one of those two, right. um, which you a lot of times will see instead um, in actual clinical practice is a lab ICS because right. those have been out for so long, people are comfortable with them and they just get that. Right. So unless you want to be a good little nerd and read through all the stuff every single year when it gets updated, not everybody likes to do that. Some people like to watch Netflix and have fun. <laughs> um, then uh, you may see a lot of ICS lava, but that's a good um, opportunity for an intervention, if you will. Right, because based for, on this guideline for initial treatment, the only time you would use just that dual therapy is with high eosinophil count. Right. Otherwise, yeah, basically llama lava. So that makes it a lot easier than all that that we just went through. I like summing it up. Yeah, you're it's a good, good summer-upper, we just, for sure. We just sum it up. Yeah, I like it. Solid. All right, now... We just summed it up. Now we're going to follow up with follow up pharmacological treatment is the the next little box that you can come to in the the guidelines. And they say that 
you know, basically to when you are following up to kind of assess how everything's going, how the pharmacological treatment that you started with is working, you want to um, change if uh, if the response to the initial treatment is appropriate, then just maintain it. That's my um, that's my favorite line of this whole guideline. If if response to initial treatment is appropriate, maintain it. Mm-hmm. A really fancy way of saying if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So I think that's actually in parentheses in the supplement. I, I think yeah, maybe there's a um yeah, it's in the, it's in the footnotes. Yeah, and Susan, it also says like, you know in the highlights like good job. Right. You did, you did great, kid. <laughs> um, okay. If not, if obviously if the initial treatment is not appropriate, right, then you do not want to maintain it because that would be stupid. Um, so we wouldn't want to change it to that point. So we would want to consider the predominant treatable trait to target, um, which this is the, the other way that this is broken down now is it used to have just kind of a pathway of like one or two options that you could do right. as a follow-up. Now they separate it out by which kind of, um, target are you going after? So you're going after more of the dyspnea or are you going after more of like the exacerbations, um, you know, or both, I guess it'd be another thing, but the pathways could be different depending on which one's being targeted. Right. And so even within that little box algorithm, that's like, do you want to go after MMRCs and CAT scores or do you want to go after the exacerbation portion? Exactly. And so that, that was very convenient, I think, is breaking it down that way as opposed to just lumping up um, everyone into, you know, one simple path. Right. Because um, it may be different. Um, so we'll and then they say place patient in box corresponding. So you're now you're placing them in a box. Place patient in box corresponding to current treatment of follow indications. I literally thought <laughs> for a split, all right, get in for, the box for a split second. I literally thought that's where you're going with that, like like a coffin type situation. And I was like, wow, no, wow, we're we're gonna get a little more edgy in the podcast. <laughs> I was like, talking theoretically. I was like, wow, in a box. Cole's really stepping out of his comfort zone. <laughs> okay, so you know, start with dyspnea. Oh uh, yeah, let's do this so, now. Okay, cool. Okay, um, so uh, yeah, dyspnea. If you're following up, they recommend um, laba or llama. Uh, if that to start to start, and then you can move on to laba llama. So they recommend the combination. So for the most part, you are sticking with those two, um, unless there are specific situations. One big thing with this guideline that I don't believe was in the others is. Um, the next step, if they're not responding well to the LABA-LAMA combination, is instead of going straight to triple therapy or even trying a LABA-ICS, depending on the situation, is to switch devices. So we mentioned, I think it was like four or five of the LABA-LAMA combinations. So if they're not responding well to one, go ahead and try another. Um, and I think it's just because they have so much faith in this LABA-LAMA combination mm-hmm. and they want to decrease um, long-term side effects from long-term use of an ICS as well. Um, and they also recommend, even before moving on, investigate and treat other causes of dyspnea before you move on to potentially um, triple therapy. And really, the only time they recommend that um, is is in the more severe cases um, or a LABA ICS if the eosinophil count is over 300 um, or if it's over 100 and they've had two or more moderate exacerbations with one hospitalization. One thing I like too about these these charts is, you know, they have on the left hand side. If you're looking at it, and again, I would highly encourage you to actually look at this stuff for yourself. It's free to look at online. Um, but if you're starting with a LABA llama, like you're like a LABA or a llama, like you're kind of supposed to, then you go to the combo. However, they actually have on here if the person was given a LABA or ICS because we know that people don't follow correct medicine, um, they want you to before just adding on the triple 
therapy. They actually want you to assess, like Cole was saying, the eosinophil count, and then also consider uh, de-escalation of the ICS and getting rid of it, potentially. Right. And one of the first reasons they say that, um, to do that, is inappropriate original indication. <laughs> um, so they, they're they totally aware that people are using ICS kind of first line of these combos. So they're like, they messed up, so fix so it before fix it. escalating. So switch them to a Laba Llama before just assuming they need to be on the triple therapy. Right. So something to kind of consider. Now, again, if if you look back at the chart and realize that, okay, yeah, their eosinophil count has been above 300 for a, a period of time, you know that the ICS was actually done appropriately there, and so then you would move on to triple therapy typically. So I, I like that they kind of specify. You like that they're calling people out. I do. I think, it's, I think it's funny. Yeah. So uh, we talked. We'll do another trial since I know you guys just can't wait for more trials. But um, the the reason for the Laba Llama, um, you know, kind of craze, if you will, that combo, uh, a lot of it stemmed from the Flame trial that was done, uh, which had over over three thousand patients, and it was looking at uh, indicanerol and glycopyrrolate combo, which ended up being that Udebron inhaler um, versus the the Advair, so Semeterol plus Fluticasone. Um, what they could to, to very briefly sum it up what they noticed when you have the llama laba combo um you have a decreased annual rate of exacerbations compared to the lab ics you have uh, decreased um or excuse me increased time to first exacerbation so it takes longer to actually have that first exacerbation and then there was less change in uh fev1 or less of a decline in fev1 from baseline to week 52 so the disease wasn't progressing as uh as quickly um with the llama lava so that uh that's kind of the a very simplistic way of summarizing some of those results but they they saw enough positives with that combo um to to push the guidelines in that direction versus using the lab ics like people had done kind of just for a while because that was what's available right yeah all right so um let's go uh we mentioned that I guess you know when to use the ICS already a couple times. So um, you want to talk about exacerbations now? If that's kind of what you're trying to treat. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, again, ideally, patients starting with a lava or a llama, and then you are going to the lava llama combo. Um, and again, if the patient has an eosinophil count of 300 or more, then you could consider going from you know, single therapy to a, like a LABA ICS combo. Now they don't have any LAMA ICS. That's why I keep, you know, referring to the LABA ICS is that the LAMA ICS doesn't exist, at least that I'm aware of. No, it doesn't. Um, and so the, uh, the LABA ICS is, could be used at this point if the patient has the high use of count, just like we were talking about with dyspnea. Um, now if the patient is switched to the LABA LAMA, and still not controlled, still having exacerbations, they want you to consider, uh, again, looking at the eosinophil counts. Um, if the patient's eosinophils are less than 100, they want you to skip right on past the ICS and start considering like reflumolast, which is Delaras, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and we could also potentially look at like azithromycin in former smokers. They have a tendency to be colonized with like H-flu and... Um, there's also azithromycin has some anti-inflammatory properties as well, and uh, so that's potential. Um, there's a lot of just argument amongst whether that's a good idea or not. And then reflumolast, they they want you to consider if the patient's FEV1 is less than 50%, um, and they have um, chronic bronchitis. 
Right. So that's, they, that's the first time they've ever skipped right over the, the ICS. Yeah, they just totally skipped Trilogy. I'm sure Trilogy didn't like that. They're probably not thrilled. You know what I mean? Um, obviously, there's other ways to get triple therapy. I think the big difference between the exacerbations and dyspnea is, um, I guess, since exacerbations are a little more significant, they don't have the whole switch devices thing mm-hmm. with the Lava Llama combination. Um, and then obviously just skipping right over it. Well, I guess, you know, in the other one, you do skip right over it if the eosinophils are low too. You just don't even consider it. Yeah. Um, and I guess the idea is if it's still severe, you'll end up with exacerbations and move on to considering riflumilast or azithromycin. And and it's interesting too, and and the reason I like this setup so much better is, and I I've I'm had I don't know how many topic discussions with students on rotation from early two thousand I guess two thousand eighteen because the guidelines probably came out in December, mm-hmm. um, two thousand eighteen back of talking about COPD, and I remember saying. Okay, well, if you're on a lava llama and going through a poet and flame trial, mm-hmm. and then say, okay, well, now we can have the ICS third right. line, and turns out I just gave bad information because yeah. I was giving bad information. Well, it's the best information you have at the time. Thank you, Cole. I yes. appreciate that. It makes me feel better. You're welcome. And ultimately, I don't think it's like it, it, it was never wrong. It's just they're saying you're not getting as much benefit as we would want you to per the risk you would get from an ICS anyway. So yeah. could also the, increase like pneumonia risk and some other things yeah, too. But, but you know, that's don't, no don't, big no, deal. don't justify it. <laughs> so yeah, the, the ICS can like look at all the information there before you just assume we need that third option. Yeah. Yeah. They're really poo pooing those things. Yeah. Right. That's the, that's the technical term for it. Yeah. They, they say, um, inappropriate original indication. And, um, so we poo poo those guys. Yep. That's what they say. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about uh, riflumilast real quick, Delaresp. Um, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but uh, basically this is an oral agent, so it's not an inhaler. It's a it's a oral agent that works as a phosphodiesterase four inhibitor, um, and it you know we've seen these in like atopic dermatitis things like that. But um, the way this works in COPD is you're getting this increase in cyclic AMP levels. Um, which can lead to some some vasodilate or uh, bronchial dilation as well as a reduction in lung inflammation as well, and um, it's just a, like I said, 500 microgram tablets that are taken daily, and um, some of the adverse effects that you may expect would be things like diarrhea. Um, there's some weight loss uh, associated with it and like a decrease in appetite. So if a patient has like history of like eating disorders, things like that, um, where the bulimia, um, anorexia, things like that, uh, it probably wouldn't be a great option. And it also can cause some insomnia as well. Um, the other caveat to this drug is when you look at the data for it, um, exacerbations do seem to be decreased, which is why it's on the exacerbation chart um, or algorithm, I should say, but there's no mortality benefit. So you're, you're giving them a better quality of life. However, you're not necessarily keeping them alive longer. Um, and again, considered in patients when their FEV1 predicted is less than 50% and uh, they have chronic bronchitis as well. Yep. So last thing on drugs is more um, for exacerbations and acute issues um, corticosteroids you'll frequently see after somebody's been hospitalized for COPD um, their primary role is in an acute situation and for a short period after uh, they have been shown to reduce the rate of treatment failure uh, but long-term effects and um, studies in that are limited so they really only recommend that um, steroid burst after the exacerbation or acute treatment uh, and not long-term treatment with steroids. 
which is interesting because I will still see patients that come in that are on like prednisone daily. Yeah. Every single day they take prednisone. Yeah. It's for COPD. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Not. Not the best. Not, I've, I've never seen anything solid that says that's a great idea. Yeah. We all know. I mean, there's just so many issues you have with long-term corticosteroid use. Yeah. You really had to do a significant risk-benefit analysis there. You know, the other the other pharmacotherapy thing to consider um, overall is assess their smoking um, status. And if, you know, they are still smoking, which like Cole said earlier, you know, you will see patients that are on oxygen and they're still smoking. Um, consider smoking cessation if the patient's willing to willing to consider it. Yeah. Um, and you can use pharmacotherapy for that as well. And, uh, you know, the kind of in the full spectrum of you know, treating the patient, immunizations is also important as well. So influenza, obviously, coming up. We got a flu season kind of in full Yay. swing again. Um, yeah, man, we're giving out all the shots. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So fun. It's happening again. It's so, great. Get your shots, but it's tiring. Yeah, uh, definitely. I don't I don't miss that at all mm-hmm. and from the community world. But um, I'll give you guys this. Uh, I've said this multiple times on the podcast, I'm pretty sure, but here's my, my thoughts on the influenza vaccine or which one to give who um for 65 and over we have the two that are approved currently we have flu ad and we have flu zone high dose right so flu zone high dose is a uh like a four times more concentrated um uh, estrogen uh, cheese estrogen I, I did women's health in my pa class last <laughs> last week um an- antigen is what i was trying to say um and uh you get four times more concentration than a standard trivalent flu shot and so it's it's considered to give be more immunogenic um flu ad uh got real creative and added a squalene emulsion that is considered an adjuvant and it also makes it more immunogenic um or well allegedly to uh to the compared to a regular flu vaccine um, because as a patient gets older, uh, older the their immune system is considered to be uh, not as strong, obviously. So um, the problem with flu ad that drives me crazy is some of the initial studies in, that were done that got it approved in this country because it was I think it's been used in Europe for a long time. But uh, the one that got uh, a couple of them that got it approved in this country, it was compared to trivalent standard flu vaccine, and it was non inferior, but not superior. <laughs> Oops. Nope, just as good though. Just as good as a drug, as a vaccine that costs a third of the money or a fourth of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, the insurance isn't paying it. Those guys deserve to pay. <laughs> Unfortunately for us, that's Medicare for a lot of times. Oh uh, yeah, primarily yeah, if they're six and older. Putting a lot of a uh, lot of money on that. So, um, Fluad also seems to have um, more like localized reactions probably because of that squalene motion mm-hmm. so i'm not a huge fan of fluad yeah. and then the flu zone high dose has been also compared to standard flu vaccine and it is superior the number needed to treat is like 218 um, and then when you look at like the cost benefit analysis overall it does seem to actually be more um, beneficial even from a cost standpoint mm, to do that um, one. however it's not to the same degree that the uh, enough of a degree for the CDC to give a recommendation. Um, I don't, I still don't believe they've updated anything with They say just get one of the flu vaccines, mm-hmm. um, which is, so guess which one we stock probably flu ad. Yes. A hundred percent. So we ran out and we couldn't get any more. And I was like, Ooh, interesting. So I was like, maybe this is a chance for me to just order flu zone. Cause you know, people ask if we have those six, you have an older and blah, 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 but we couldn't even order that. So, um, the text was like, well, I guess we can't give anybody a 65. I'm like, actually we can. So just, if they don't specifically ask for it, just say, yeah, we got flu shots. Here you go. 
I, I didn't order any fluid from the clinic because I was yeah. in charge of ordering Which, fluid Which, I mean, vaccines. I'll tell them it's the regular dose, but if they're fine, then we just did it. So I, I found uh, the quad, um, a version of the quad. I think it was mm-hmm. the Afluria brand. Because mm-hmm. um, I'd be very curious to see what quad versus fluid because, you know, it looks like and see if it still meets non-inferiority. Right. Um, but it was literally like a fourth of the price. Yeah. And the C- until I see the CDC recommend one of the o- over the other, um, I was like, yeah, we're yeah. not going to order flu out this year. And we had a flu for a while, and I think now we have Flusilvax is the one we use. Yeah. I think it's because it's in the pins, and it's so great. You just screw on the top oh, instead of having to draw it up. It's very... So Precious seconds it saves. It does, and except we have a bunch of MAs, MAs that do uh, that. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? Must be nice. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about those precious seconds. Must be nice. Um, don't tell my MAs that. <laughs> no, but um, so that was my spiel on flu. So get them a flu shot every year. Yeah. Pneumonia. Cole, is there anything new with the pneumonia shot? Is there something new? I think that, um, yeah, the thing you've been harping on for the last couple of years, maybe the CDC is catching on or the ACIP is catching on. finally listen to me. Yeah. Now, the, uh, if you guys haven't seen the ACIP meeting that happened in June, um, they changed the recommendations on the 65 and over Prevnar, where originally they said ever since like 2015, they've been saying that everyone who's 65 and over, regardless of their medical history, gets Prevnar 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've spent you know billions of dollars on this drug, and it's Pfizer's number one drug for a long time. And then we looked at the data in 2019 to see how awesome we did with preventing pneumonia, and there's zero difference. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so um, the Capita trial that everyone was talking about, ranting and raving about, um, they got Prevnar 13 approved in that indication in the first place, um, had some very poor statistics that were reported and in fact uh you've probably heard me on this podcast before talk about this where the number needed to treat ended up being over a thousand to prevent community acquired um pneumonia so one thousand people and some change have to get uh prevnar 13 to prevent one case of a thing we can treat with you know a z-pack a lot of times so the acip finally said uh let's go ahead and calm down a little bit with every single person who gets it and said that it needs to be a clinician mm-hmm. specific uh indication so right. the, it's up to the up to your physician or whoever that you're seeing to actually give the prevnar 13 make sure the person's a candidate right so you right. still can but you might just consider think of them at a higher risk than like a normal mm-hmm. person so that being said, in COPD, I personally would say still go for it. Yeah, still go for it. It's a conjugate vaccine. It's going to probably be uh, more immunogenic than the Pneumovax. So I would still do both vaccines. So here's my question. Did yeah. they, have they looked like, so as opposed to just not getting giving Prevnar at all, we've talked about how it kind of helps the Pneumovax out a little bit. Get, having given both, well, I mean, you know, would that bring the number you need to treat down, do you think? So the problem is, um, I actually think it would be worse because... The the reason they did the study, the cavity trial was done in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and the reason for that, besides the eighty thousand people that they enrolled in the study to mm-hmm. try to show significance, um, they don't use over there. They don't use the uh, childhood pneumonia vaccines like we do, mm. um, and nobody has pneumovax. So you couldn't have you had to have had no history of any sort of pneumonia vaccine to be enrolled in the trial, and mm. so they still got those poor numbers with that. So. I, I, since we have our results now and we're, where we've had four years of patients being told to get both vaccines and we've seen no decline, mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe even the, um, the priming of the immune system using a conjugate vaccine followed by a polysaccharide vaccine, that doesn't help us um, maybe not as 
still not as relevant for everybody. Now, right. if you're immunocompromised, if you have a condition like COPD that it directly affects the lungs, COPD, you're probably going to get anything that puts you at yeah, high risk. You're yeah. probably going to get better. You know, if you looked at those specifically, right. um, you would probably have a much lower number needed to treat. But I'm I'm glad that they they've taken that. Right. Out so that of was there. the big big news, and that was only a couple months ago. Now. Yeah. It was very long ago. So I'm glad because I I think in, back in 2017 maybe yeah early 17 I made a YouTube video on how to calculate absolute needed uh, absolute uh, risk reduction mm-hmm. and number needed to treat and I used the capital trial as an example of that was why one of, like your first videos mm-hmm. it's like oh, it's, you scribbling it's, with it's a, trash with the pen it's gr- it's great I mean it's, it's, it gives you what you need it gives you to what you get. need is the worst video. the <laughs> audio quality is atrocious it's fantastic it's terrible, everybody but, should go and look at look it up it's on YouTube for sure yeah I haven't seen it in a couple like probably since I put I, it I literally actually watched it. I was like oh, what what was that absolute and I totally looked it up and watched it. Nice. Like, uh, thank God I was there. Three or four. It was, it was a little while ago, six months ago, probably. Yeah. No, I mean, what I said was fine as far as the, the right. technique. It's just the video is terrible. So we've come a long way. Yeah. Gotten a little bit better at producing stuff. I hope in two years we can laugh about how crappy our stuff is now. On two years, we're going to be like in their living rooms. Yeah. You know, with hologram. Because I was going to say, I don't know where you're going with that, but <laughs> we're going to do birthday parties coming yeah. up soon. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make money somehow. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the vaccine stuff. So you still probably give them Prevnarian, Numavax, sixty-five and over, and you can uh, go ahead and do the Prevnar first because it is the um, poly or the uh, conjugate vaccine, and then give the polysaccharide. But there's also a um, fifteen serotype uh, conjugate vaccine coming out um, probably next year, maybe the year after, and then also a twenty hmm. um, competition. Yeah, another another uh, two new vaccines in the pipeline for pneumonia so all this stuff will be changing again relatively soon yep so there you go right when you get those vaccine schedules down students all changes always be ready beauty of medicine yep thank god we're here though to tell you guys what's up i know <laughs> thankfully what would you do without us cool and what else we got anything do we miss anything that's all i got man well, glad we finally did a copd one i can't yeah. believe we haven't done one yet I still, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a hand. There's several people going, "You idiots!" <laughs> <laughs> we all are getting a double dose, just like pneumonia of COPD. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I think with our patient case, we probably went through some of that, but I don't know if you guys go back and listen to the episodes or not. So for we our pro- we new probably, listeners, probably did. And that was an old one too. Was it? That was like the fourth episode. Hmm. I was like, I was like in. Millennia. This ago. is my problem, and then I'll I'll let you guys go. <laughs> this is my problem. I, when I teach this stuff for the PA students, I have a hard time in my tiny brain figuring out when I did what when I said something. Because I have my student topic discussions with my PharmD students, I have my actual lectures with the PA students, I have this nonsense with you, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, I have no clue when I said what. I remember saying it. Completely eludes me as to what I really should write this down. That'd be a very simple fix. And see, I have none of those types of conversations, so I guess I'm the one who really needs to remember that kind of right. thing. Right, and you're not doing a great job. <laughs> I rely on the the titles. That's what I rely yeah, on. And my titles are stupid, so you can't rely on those at all. That's a terrible idea. Never rely on my titles. Because it's usually like one in the morning when I come up with them, and I'm like, huh, that'd be funny. And you know, I just what, put that on there. I see. Uh, what's the difference? Yeah, and then I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what the heck did Rhinitis, I put that for? Rhinitis, dot, 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 the allergic type. <laughs> I like, love it. So I'm extremely creative. <laughs> so if you guys need me to come up with stuff for you, just let me know. Cool. What? Anything else? No, man. We're good. All right. We'll wrap it up. You got round two coming up here soon, so you better yeah. rest. Yeah. It, it's Again, we're in the future, so. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. You got round two that you just finished, so. That I'm going to do later. Yeah. Right. 
Cool. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, thank you for the. Uh, we've gotten several emails that um, I don't. I feel like super. Uh, I'd be too narcissistic to read them, but they uh, made us feel really good. Some um, some pharmacists from around the globe, actually. Yeah, I, um, I want to read them, but Mike doesn't like that because he thinks we're just tuning our own horn. So we won't yeah. read them. But there were some good some good stuff. Maybe we'll read them as long as you guys know that it's not that. Because like I've said a hundred times, I'm shocked that any of you guys listen right. to this we podcast. We toot our own horn enough, so I don't think we're gonna do it with emails. Yeah, but the emails uh, that you guys have sent, some of them, I mean, we've meant a lot to us, more than you guys know. So thank you very much. Thanks for the ratings. You know, we got on iTunes and stuff like that. Um, so thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, if you have questions, emails are in the description below. And if uh, you know you want a specific topic or anything, uh, make sure you shoot us an email. Reach out to us on any of the social media platforms, and uh, we'll keep uh, putting out content. Most likely, <laughs> yeah, that will start something new. Cool. Thank you, guys. Later.